And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, your chance this week just to get a sample of some of the great podcasts we have available for you at EWTNRadio.net. Remember, you can subscribe to your favorite shows so you don't miss future episodes, but we want to help you this week as you take a deeper journey into your walk with God or deeper into your Catholic faith. So as we spotlight some of the great shows available at Podcast Central at EWTNRadio.net, we're going to jump on to the road to Emmaus. We're going to find out this week who is is Mathis Shaben. Dr. Scott helps to start the conversation, sharing how this 19th century theologian impacted the Catholic Church and what we can learn from him on the road to Emmaus that helps us jumpstart this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. Hi, this is Scott Hahn, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Road to Emmaus podcast from the St. Paul Center here in Steubenville, Ohio. And with me is our vice president and dear friend of 20 years, Rob Corzine. Welcome, Rob. Good to be here. Well, you and I both know what we plan to do, but nobody else does until I <laughs> let the cat out of the bag. So the cat is Matthias Joseph Shaben. Now, long ago, maybe more than a year, uh, I did a, an episode on Matthias Shaben with Nina Harriman. Uh, we were discussing things at a rather high level. I want to pull things down to a lower level, not for academics so much as for ordinary Catholics. And the reason is simple, because we are here to kind of announce the birth of that one volume of Shabans that is really written for lay people, mm-hmm. The Glories of Divine Grace. Now, it was available for many years in a paperback version by Tan Books. And, oh, I guess two years ago or so, I called Connor Gallagher, the head of Tan, and asked him if we could put out a volume. We oh, could put oh, out you, a, you should tell them why you called. I don't remember. They went on sale. You bought them all <laughs> yeah, and right. called and asked if they were letting it go. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no, they shouldn't have been on sale. That's right. There was this <laughs> massive uh, announcement of all of these Tan Books that were on sale. And uh, so I called and I said, okay, can I get the extra copies, all the last copies of the Glories of Divine Grace? And there were hundreds. And they said, sure. Now, if I buy them, you know, if I buy hundreds at once, could we actually lower that price a little bit? (laughs) Sure. And so I did. And I gave these books out like candy to my undergraduate students, to my graduate students, but above all, to the priests at our priest conferences in California and in Austin, Texas, as well as in Ogle Bay. And uh, the response from the priest was the same as the response to the, from the lay people, and that is, this is an amazing book. And, and since it was then unavailable, we, we got with Tan and said, hey, let's, let's make it available again. That's right. And when I contacted my good friend, Connor <laughs> Gallagher, uh, I took his breath away because what he said was, I didn't know that one was on sale. <laughs> I would never have let that one go on sale because... He rightly perceived the unique value of this. Um, And TAN Books stands for Thomas A. Nelson. And I met Mr. Nelson back in 1990. So over 30 years ago, he was passing through the town of Steubenville and arranged to meet with me. He spent the night and walked through my library, which took about two hours, because he wanted to find out what books I would recommend as a new, a relatively recent convert. And so I led him to my Garagula Grand shelf. And then in the subsequent period of five years or so, I think he 
He released at least five or six books by Gary Lagrange. But I also pointed to the Shaben shelf. And he was looking at the Mysteries of Christianity, weighing in around 700 pages. And he's like, oh, not so much that. And then I said, well, the Mysteries of Divine Grace, the Glories of Divine Grace, this is, and he was like, yes. So he took my copy of that, as well as Garigou Lagrange and a couple titles by Maritain, and then began a series of reprints. And uh, he wrote a preface to the paperback version that I have to quote. He says, the glories of divine grace will very likely become the most influential book a Catholic will ever read, and one of the most insightful. And why? Because it's all about sanctifying grace, which as a technical term in theology is really just another word, another phrase for the life of God that is imparted by Christ through the Holy Spirit to our souls with baptism. And then he goes on to say, few people, including most Catholics, ever give sanctifying grace a thought other than to ask themselves whether they're in a state of grace. But what he recognized was that it was written by a theological master who was a great scholar and a, and a, and a respected teacher for many, many years. But this was a book written for all Catholics. Yeah, not all scholars can write at a popular level, and even fewer of them can write the sorts of books that you want to bring to the chapel. I mean, Shaban was special in lots of ways, but this book is unique. It really is. And originally, it, it, um, it had an interesting life because um, it originally came out in English translation in five pamphlets that were then bound together. And uh, subsequently, then it was published in one volume. But it's also interesting because it was Shaban's own free, expansive translation of a 17th century Spanish Jesuit by the name of Father Nuremberg. Uh, he had written a book for lay people on the mystical life and practical experience. And Shaban basically said, I'm going to adapt that. And adapt that he did. It basically became his own book. And uh, I, I say at the end of my own um, introduction, that is this version that uh, is co-published by Tan and Emmaus Road hence our mutual interest in this. I said, I consider it to be the most inspiring and challenging book I've ever read on the spiritual life. And when you reach the end, you will not be quite the same Christian you were when you began. You will be much closer to the heart of the mysteries. And that might sound like um, PR, that might just sound like advertising, but I tell you, this has been consistently, not only for the 37 years I've been a Catholic, but really, when I first discovered it two or three years before I entered the church, I remember thinking, what have I been missing out on? Yeah. When everybody who talks about a book sounds hyperbolic, it's probably about the book. That's right. It's yeah. not hype. It's not an ad campaign. At the same time, what we ought to do is identify how the fivefold division plays out. Because the first part is simply entitled, What is Grace? This is one of the most important sections because... It, it clarifies a distinction. I think most of the time people hear the word grace, they think of saying grace before a meal yeah. or just giving thanks to God for all of the gifts that he has bestowed. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's true, all of that, but it's incomplete, radically incomplete. Yeah, that's really the third sense. Like Journey uh, in the meaning of grace says, you have graces in these, these three senses. First, there's the uncreated divine favor 
And then that causes in us created grace. That's sanctifying grace, how he imparts grace to us. And third are these acts of thanksgiving. And, and Protestants tend to focus just on the first, right? God's subjective favor. And when we often think of grace, it's just saying grace. But the meat is in the way God imparts his grace to us. Sanctifying grace is the heart of the gospel. Yeah, you're almost being too kind. Uh, when you describe Protestants as usually focusing on that notion. Well, they of, reduce it to that. Yeah, it really is yeah. a reductionist move. Yeah, that was, because that was the first thing Father John Harden said that blew my mind, is that you know, people talk about the difference being, you know, faith and works versus faith alone. Uh, or, you know, I had come to see maybe the big differences in that they they misunderstand original sin. He's like, no, the, the divide between Protestantism and Catholicism is about the misunderstanding of grace. That's right. You know, in the first two centuries of the first Christian millennium, this really emerges with a kind of force that is unparalleled in the history of world religions. We're sharing in the very life of God. You know, it's one thing for God to lavish us with his gifts, you know, marriage and family, a beautiful day, you know, uh, an upright culture, uh, all kinds, you know, intelligence, good looks or whatever else, you know, and it would be wrong not to give him thanks and praise for the things that he's given to us. But what if just maybe, what if God bestows these created gifts that are all good, but finite upon us as a kind of appetizer or hors d'oeuvre to prepare us to get to the point where we would be open to the unthinkable. That is he would want to give us himself as the gift. He's not just the giver of the gifts. He wants to make himself the gift for us to share in his own life, 2 Peter 1, 4, to make us partakers of the divine nature, to make us partakers of the divine what? You know, <laughs> this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, quoting the prophet Isaiah, I hasn't seen, ear has not heard, nor has it ever entered into the heart or mind of man what God has in store for us. Theologians call it sanctifying grace. What we find out here in this amazing book, The Glories of Divine Grace, in the foundational section, What is Grace? That we, in fact, participate in the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit every bit as much and arguably infinitely more than we were born and participated in the very life of our mother and father and our siblings too. And, and, and reading Shaban years before I entered the church, gave me the sense that, well, I guess all Catholics know this. All Catholics have read this, but they just never bothered to share it with me. And I felt <laughs> robbed and deprived, you know, like some beggar living outside the house of these rich folk who never even threw me a scrap of moldy bread when I had nothing, you know. But then, much to my shock and chagrin, you find out later that most Catholics, at least growing up in America in the 70s and 80s, we're already subjected to a kind of experimental program of pseudo-catechesis, watered-down, diluted, or just distorted doctrinal formation. And it was just like the hippie hangover that everybody was suffering from in the larger culture of America. Catholics were subjected to a, uh, an unfortunate experiment that did clearly did not succeed but failed. Yeah, know? instead of being called on to this immense gift that God wants to first make us desire we don't even know to want it it's the, it's the what's left over when everything you could right. possibly want has been given you and you're still unsatisfied what you're what you're made for 
is the indwelling of the Holy Trinity. Yeah. And, and to share in Christ's own life, not just to put on a clothing, a garment, you know, uh, not just a dunghill covered with white snow, as Luther would put it, uh, and not just to, uh, to be really moral because the Holy Spirit helps us to be much more moral and upright than we would have been without God's assistance. It's good to be good, but it's not enough. Yeah. I mean, and this is really why it's called sanctifying grace, because holiness is not the same as righteousness. And I don't want to take that tangent because I've discussed that in the past on episodes of Rodomaeus, and that's really the subject matter of my own newest book, Holy is His Name, The Transforming Power of God's Holiness in Scripture. But it isn't just the fact that God is desirous of giving us his own life. That's part one. What is grace? Part two is union with God. That is, if God is infinitely generous, willing to give himself to us, if we were to look long and hard in the mirror, we couldn't walk away saying, well, rot's a rock. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what is, I mean, God's capacity, God's desire. Okay, but you know, what are the chances? Well, I mean, again, looking into my own soul, I would say practically nil. But looking at Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, working through the sacraments and the lives of saints who are all, with the exception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, former sinners who really struggled with sin and temptation up to their dying breath. Union with God is the thing that shows us that adoption is not merely a legal process. It is a transformation that begins with the new birth, but the analogy of our own life development, you know, as we're infants, as we're children, as we're young adults, adolescents, and then adults. I mean, since the creator God is the same as the redeemer God, you can sense that he fashioned nature as a kind of curriculum to teach us how it is that we're going to mature into holiness in the spiritual life. But calling it spiritual in some ways is already misleading because spiritual life is what we have anyway with our own souls that are immortal. But just as death occurs when you separate the body and the soul, spiritual death is what occurred when our first father committed a mortal sin in Genesis 3, causing the separation of his natural soul, the spiritual life, from the Holy Spirit. And so this is spiritual death. Spiritual life can be ungraced. The demons are spirits. That's right. That's right. So it's never enough to refer to grace as gift or to sanctifying grace as our spiritual life. It really is the progress in the divine life. And just as we all struggled when we were preteens and teenagers, and even after we got married at 21, Kimberly and I struggled, you know, to just try to figure out how do we make our way in the world? Mm. Well, how do we make our way in the life of the Holy Trinity? That's what union with God is all about, to show us that this adoption, this rebirth creates a friendship, you know? And I can say that my oldest son, Michael, is like my best friend. It wasn't always that way, you know? In fact, it was hardly ever that way when he was a teenager, though he was not even half as bad as I was when I was an adolescent. Part three of the book is even more practical and inspiring and challenging And that is how grace works. Because once you figure out what is this gift, then you're not going to get as close to mortal sin as you can, you know, any more than you're going to just drink as much arsenic as will, you know, you know, I'm going to drink just so much that will keep me from dying. No, you don't mess with poison. And so the, the supernatural virtue of divine charity, along with faith and the endurance of hope 
These are the things that we need to grow in, but it isn't like self-help. And the way to keep from sin is not to focus on avoiding sin, but to, to dive into, you know, gaining and growing in God's grace. Yeah. So often we, we do this on the margin, you know, but, uh, you wouldn't say, well, I am faithful. I am, you know, I'm somebody who's exercised the gift of fidelity because I've never been unfaithful. I've never had an affair. Well, avoidance of adultery is an important aspect of marital fidelity, but you're not playing that zero sum. It's not a minimum standard, you know? And so the idea that we want to grow in our love of God and we want to allow the Holy Spirit, who is the person of divine love, to give us the sevenfold gifts to help us to grow not only in the cardinal virtues, but the theological virtues, and to give us daily guidance and practical help to know how to proceed, yeah. how to recover, but also how to make real progress. Yeah. And Shaban is not, Shaban does not stop being a theologian when he turns to being a spiritual writer. This feeds your mind and fires your heart at the same time. You, you're learning and everything, um, as Frank Sheed says, right, the, the reason we need to enlighten our minds is everything you learn about God is another reason to love him. And Shaban does that. He just, he, you're both being instructed and set on fire as you read him. Yeah, I mean, there's a sense in which I now owe it to our, our audience to admit the, to admit the, uh, the obvious. So that is Shaban. Where is he from? Germany. When did he live? The middle part of the 19th century. What did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> like, Name another 19th century German that we want to still read. Right. You know, I've had conversations with um, then Pope John Paul II and then Cardinal Ratzinger about Shaban. And both times you could see on their faces, they were just like, what? Shaban is being read in America? As uh, uh, the Pope's secretary, Cardinal Chivich said, he was really like, oh, they're, they're studying Shaban in the United States. And I'm like, well, a few of us are, but not nearly enough. And they looked at each other like, get more people on board yeah. with this, you know, and, and Ratzinger too. Ratzinger, in fact, when he was the Cardinal Prefect for the Sacred Congregation of the Doctor of the Faith, convened this international symposium on the centennial of Shaban's passing, which, get ready for it, was 1888. <laughs> so he was born in 1835. He died when he was still relatively young in 1888. And his massive work, the Handbook of Catholic Dogmatics, which is being translated by the St. Paul Center's publishing arm, Emmaus Academic. Now, the when first Americans say handbook, we mean a nice short little book you can hold in your hand. When Germans say handbook, they mean a heavy shelf full of books, apparently. That's right. So there are five books of his Handbook of Catholic Dogmatics, but ultimately seven volumes. We've got five of them here stacked up. We got two of them coming out later this year in the summertime. I think the next one is. June and then uh, in August as well. And there is, I, I could sip, I, perhaps I'm going to hold off on this for a minute or, or five. Um, but there's a Shaban revival going on in America today. And we can talk about that in a bit. But I want to just finish up my overview, the summary description of this amazing book, because what is grace? Part one, union with God. Part two, how grace works. Part three, and then part four is the effects of grace. And when you look at part four and step back and just kind of apply a basic cost-benefit analysis to, okay, what are the effects of grace? Whoa. The benefits of living a life of holiness and charity 
through humility, gratitude, and trust. I mean, it's like the cost-benefit analysis is so not only lopsided, but no pain, no gain, no cross, no crown, blah, blah, blah. This really gives to us the, the fire in our hearts to make us long to be holy, to make us long not simply to avoid sin, but to do whatever we can practically every day to grow more in love with God. Yeah. And neighbor. Yeah, yeah. You reminded me of C.S. Lewis has this short little poem that that ends, you know, that same day uh, I found the market where my penny buys a pound. And then he asks, was the, was the bargain good or bad? The price was cheap. The price was all I had. Yes. Oh, you know, that's beautiful. Okay, so get back to the fifth and final section, how to grow in grace. Of all of the five parts, this is the most practical. But I would say don't, don't skip over the first four because it really is sort of a, a construction. You know, I, I, the foundation is laid and then you build and then you reach a certain practical culmination, how to grow in grace, where you're talking about hope, you're talking about contrition, you're talking about love, you're talking about chastity, you're talking about how to even view venial sin how to take advantage of the sacraments, how to not only grow more in grace, but to be an example to inspire other people to do the same. And, you know, um, I think, I think I've said enough, you know, in terms of a summary description of the book. Um, and I think I've also mentioned enough, the fact that, you know, this has been for many people, not just me, the single most inspiring and challenging book in equal measure. I mean, when, when I read like four or five pages, I put it down and I'm like, I've got my marching orders. I got my motivation. But when I, when I start the next morning and I pick it up and I read it and I, I realize, okay, it's harder than I thought. You know, it's more <laughs> challenging than I remembered to live this stuff out. And, you know, it, it, it's, I've gone through this book. I, I've lost count five or six times, maybe even eight or 10, but I never try to read it quickly. Yeah. And I never try to read all of part one. Uh, I really divide it up into one, you know, it's like daily bread, you know, the manner that you can consume for that day. Yeah. Which uh, is not a form of reading. I normally do like books of you know, 40 meditations. I'm like, I'm going to read this this week. That's right. Uh, but, but this one, it, each, each of those is a full meal. You don't end up going. Yeah. Oh, let me see. Let me taste the next one. Let me taste the next one. You're like, oh, I need to digest this. Yeah. You know, the Greek dessert known as baklava. I used to use that as an analogy to describe Shaven's the glories of divine grace. Because it's so sweet, but it's so rich that, you know, you, you ask the next time for a smaller piece. Mm. Um, but I, I don't want to go back and resort to that analogy because it makes it sound like it's dessert. Whereas this is solid meat. Yeah. You know, but it's the finest steak. Uh, and speaking of analogies, I, I think it's also worth mentioning the fact that of all of the dogmatic theologians that I've ever read, nobody has incorporated scripture more than Shaban especially in volume five, where you're dealing with Christology and Mariology. And I should add parenthetically that many world-class Mariologists consider Shapin to be something of the father of the science of Mariology. Uh, there, were there were many, many theologians over the centuries who wrote great and massive works on Mariology, but nobody set out to identify the first principles. Yeah, and that's, and that's volume five. Of the handbook of Christian dogmatics, not part five of this book. That's right. Yeah. Thank you for that word of clarification. But, you know, Shaban does so many analogies. His favorite is the nuptial analogy of marriage. 
uh, and that is, you know, when you when you fall in love, when you unite your wills, and yet you struggle in the in the context of living that out. But he also has a lot to. He speaks of nature and grace. That was the title of his first book, in fact, uh, that we'll be coming out with, I think, later this year. Next year. Next I year. Think. Okay, so twenty twenty four. And breaks a lot of the the controversy about nature and grace by applying that that analogy of marriage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so the old and the new, uh, nature and grace, but especially husband and wife, um, he's always distinguishing for the purpose of uniting, but he's always uniting for the purpose of showing this kind of divine fruitfulness, the fecundity of what Christ has accomplished as he marries the human nature of the creature with the divine nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the other thing, too, is that Shaban, S-C-H-E-E-B-E-N, and I just realized I never had spelled it out, so people were wondering, what is this? You know, so Matthias Joseph Shaban was uh, well-formed in philosophy. He was primarily a professor of dogmatic theology, uh, but he was a mystic, and he had a pastoral heart. And another one of his books, which is really like my favorite intellectual production of Shaban's, is called The Mysteries of Christianity. And this was another book that I devoured before I became a Catholic, assuming that lots of other Catholics had read it too. When I discovered after a couple of years of asking around, I could count on one hand the number of people who actually read The Mysteries of Christianity. All of that has flipped now. I'm, I'm, I'm finding out that with the republication of The Mysteries of Christianity, um, there are dozens, if not hundreds, and sometimes soon, thousands of people are going to be reading The Mysteries of Christianity, but not yet. I mean, this is really what the writer of Hebrews speaks of, you know, in terms of um, giving you the basic, you know, food, the, the spiritual milk. The glories of divine grace, I think, is the best place to start yeah. reading Shaban. And even though I've read a lot more of Shaban that is academic, I keep coming back to this again and again. And we um in this edition we pulled out from uh from page twelve at the very beginning just a little paragraph that I think might encourage people to finally if they have we haven't already convinced them to take the plunge. He writes, Not only does grace surpass all natural things, it also surpasses all the miraculous works of God. Thus the work of grace is the greatest wonder of God's omnipotence. It is even greater than his creation of the world out of nothing. It can be compared only with that unspeakable act of God the Father by which he begets from all eternity his own son equal to himself and in time unites him with the human nature. That's how important the subject is. Yeah. Yeah. I know we have to begin wrapping things up right now. There probably might be some more material for us to discuss in the future. Getting some great insight on how we can deepen our walk with God, thanks to the teachings of Mathis Shaban. If you want to find out more about that show or future episodes or maybe ones you missed, easy to do when you go to Podcast Central at EWTNRadio.net. I'm Ace McKay. Before we take a quick break, I want to let you know we're going to come back with one of our newest family members to our Podcast Central, Catholic Mom Now. We want to introduce you to Chris and Julie, who will be scoping right into the walk of the Camino. What is the impact in their own experience, but how in their own faith journey can we learn from that and then maybe benefit from our own walking of the Camino? So we'll dive into that next on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. 
The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Talking about the things that matter most to you, Catholic Women Now. Welcome to Catholic Women Now. You're listening to Chris McGruder and back with my buddy, Julie Nelson. She's dancing, friends. You should see her dancing here. She's <laughs> yes. just back from the Camino, and she's dancing as well as walking. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm just. It's good to be back. It was a great experience. We're going to talk about it today on the show, and... Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. So yeah, I'm excited. The and, and pictures. Thank you, and I am glad to be back with you, Chris. And yeah. thank you to all the lovely women, your sister and Leslie, who filled in for me. I appreciate that so yeah, much. Yeah, and the, the pictures of you and Lynn, you look so joyful and relaxed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it, you yeah. know, it was good for us. It was yeah. good for our marriage. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, it was Amen. a lot of good things. Came from us. Well, should we start with the Hail Mary? Let's do that. Okay. In the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Chris, it's been an amazing May. I mean, I... I haven't talked to you. I just found out this morning you're going to be a grandma. <laughs> I am. That's actually part of my truth and beauty and goodness oh, segment. Oh, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is great. And that was, you know, part of the reason I was gone to. I spent a week with my grandkids. And oh, my gosh, welcome to the grandma club. I know. Well, Julie, I kept telling everybody, she's gone this month because she's going to be out on the East Coast being grandma. And all of a sudden I went, and she's going to be on the Camino. But I kept talking about you being a grandma. So friends... I did miss a couple weeks where she was on the Camino, but the last week I remembered, oh yeah, she's on the Camino I too. heard that. It's like, I've been gone a long time with those grandkids, Chris. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. Well, matter. you're back and that's that's the thing we're happy yeah. about. Well, so uh, welcome. Well, congratulations. How oh, wonderful. I can't wait. Thank you. you. I know. We did a little gender reveal last night, but I can't tell the listeners the gender until... The in-laws know, so oh, I'll, yeah. I'll let you know next week, friends. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> but we're excited. A, we are excited, so thank that's you. That's great. Thank well, you. I have something completely different with truth and beauty and goodness, and I'm going in a way different direction. I'm going girly today, which, I, you know, we're talking girly things, I think, here. I just read this wonderful little article on theology for the home. They sent out a, a daily newsletter, and they highlight different things. And this girl is just talking about bringing back the scarf and how it's such a beautiful accessory. And so he's going through these photos that she was posting, and I just thought it's so simple, and it just adds such class to an outfit. Like if you just wear a plain sheaf dress and you put on this beautiful scarf, how simple that is. Yes. And there's kind of like a metaphor for that for life too, you know, the simpler the better, the, you know, just a touch of class. So I thought, you know what? I got all these scarves I saved from the 90s. I'm getting them out. I'm going to start wearing them. <laughs> hey, I have those too. And, you know, yeah. you think they're going to come back. They do. They do. Those kinds of things That's, do. And those were, yeah. you know, they didn't take a lot of space up to store. So, yeah. Yes, that makes you scout. The my one scarves. thing that I wish I would not have gotten rid of, though, is my pencil denim skirt from the 90s. <laughs> wish I can't find them anymore, or at least I can't find the one that I want. So, oh, like, darn. Oh, I, I, gave, I gave away my velveteen overalls, and oh. they're back in style now. Oh. Yeah, overalls. Oh. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I've seen the overalls, but not velveteen. So. No, so, well, that's why I want them. You uh, know, that's right. Be different, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
Oh, gosh. Well, today, friends, we are going to be talking with Julie about her walk on the Camino, how it affected her. Um, you know, first of all, what is the what is the Camino? What's the point of the Camino? What's a little bit of the history of it? And then what was hers and Lynn's experience? Yeah. Can't wait to hear yeah. all about it. Well, this is this has been a bucket list item for me for a while, and it wasn't so much for my husband, but I'll share a little more about his experience in a, in a few in, later in the show. But we went with a, some couples, uh-huh. and so that was nice to go with friends. Yeah. And um, the Camino, because a lot of people I found out don't really under, don't know about the yeah, Camino. Yeah, they don't know that it even exists, one. Right. But then also, what is it? Right. Well, it's it's been called the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. And it's um, in an important Christian pilgrimage in the Middle Ages. Sure. And the pilgrims walk the route in order to reduce the punishment of their sins. Oh. So it's all these different trails, and they lead to Santiago, Spain. Okay, now which James is it? James, James the Greater. Okay. It was the apostle, brother of John, okay. the sons of thunder. Sure. One of um, the ones that Jesus really entrusted so much to, um, James, John, and Peter. We're with him on some of those moments of his life, like mm-hmm. in the agony in the garden and such. And so there's not a lot that's known about St. James the Greater, but um, his remains are in a crypt there at um, St. James in uh, Santiago, Spain. Okay. So in the Middle Ages, they've discovered his um, his uh, burial site. Um, he actually went to Spain and Portugal um, to do evangelization um, after Jesus died, and uh an interesting thing is that he met a lot of resistance, was not having much success, conversion. I mean, I think we all can relate that to that in some de- degree of our life and yeah. ministry. And he was getting really discouraged, and the Blessed Mother appeared to her, to, to him. him, to him. Okay. And she was sitting on a pillar when he she appeared. And what's really remarkable about this, and this is one of those little known facts about our church that's kind of fun, yeah. is that um, it was the first recorded apparition of the Blessed Mother. And it happened while she was still alive. So personally, I'm thinking that's probably like a bilocation. I was just going to ask, bilocation? I've never heard it said that, right. but it sure sounds like it does. Yes. Well, if she appeared to him and she was alive, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So she encouraged him and asked that he built this church, and he did. And it's Our Lady of the Pillar. It's not in Santiago. It's in eastern Spain. But in the end, he went back to Jerusalem or back to the Holy Land and was persecuted by Herod and died. So the legend has it that his two disciples took his remains, got on a boat that did not have a rudder, and just asked God to, deli- to guide them to where he, they needed to go with his remains. They, took, they landed on shore of Spain now, and they buried him. And then in the 9th century or 10th century, they found his remains, and then they built the Santiago okay. um, um, Cathedral of St. James. Okay. And then from there, people started making pilgrimages to St. James in the Middle Ages. And it's actually trails that the Romans used for um, commerce as well. So when we walked the trail, everyone's, I saw uh, a, a, one of the stones that had a rut in it from the wagon wheels of the Romans. Oh, wow. Yeah, you'll see those every so often if you're looking for them. So, That's cool. So it's, it's kind of neat to think about, you know, all the pilgrims that have walked that trail before me. Yes. In, in those hard times of the Middle Ages when it took, you know, many days to do that. Yes. And they stayed in what they called hospitals along the way. Now there's hostels that people uh-huh. can stay in along yeah. the way. Wow. Yeah. The history of that's just really amazing. I bet you can feel the people before you as you're walking that. You can, bit. you can. Yes, yes, yeah. you can. And uh, um, Jean, I have to look up the saint. There was a saint of the day while we were gone, and Jean Till sent me this saint of the day that was um, 
I'll have to look it up and share with the fr- our friends here in the next segment. So she was sending you the saint of the day while you were gone. This particular one, because um, it was, her name is St. Bona, uh-huh. and she led 10 pilgrimages to uh, Santiago during the Middle Ages, and she's okay. patron saint of pilgrims. So, oh, uh, cool. Yeah. So that wow. happened as well, too. So, wow. Yeah. So, wow. So much more. I, I, I've love to share more of our experience. Yeah, because yeah. I also want to know there's something called a Campostella, and I don't know what yeah. that is. So, friends, when we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more, more about the Cami, Camino. I was going to say the Campostella, the Campostella and the Camino. And we're going to hear more about um, the adventures that Julie and Lynn and her friends had while we... Um, while they were there. So stay tuned. And this is Catholic Women Now. The first liturgical feast of the Most Sacred Heart was in 1670, and thanks to the efforts of St. John Eudes, the Mass and office he developed were later more widely adopted. Then devotion to Jesus' Sacred Heart spread a great deal more following the revelations of Blessed Sister Mary of the Divine Heart and St. Margaret Mary Alico. On the Feast of St. John the Baptist in 1673, Jesus appeared to St. Margaret Mary while she was praying and told her, My divine heart is so inflamed with love for men that, being unable to contain any longer the flames of burning charity, it must spread them abroad by your means and manifest itself to mankind in order to enrich them with the precious graces of sanctification and salvation necessary to withdraw them from the abyss. Jesus also told her, Behold the heart, most sacred heart of Jesus. Please pray for us. Welcome back to Catholic Women Now with Chris Magruder and Julie Nelson. And Julie Nelson is back from the Camino. And I was going to ask her friends, what is the Compostela? Because I've heard of that. Don't quite know what that is on the Camino, but tell us what is that? It's just simply a certificate verifying that the pilgrim, that's what the walkers are called, had made the journey and earned a plenary indulgence. So you have to walk. That's awesome. So you have to walk the last, uh, I believe, 100 kilometers is what it is to get um, a plenary indulgence. And then um, this was given to pilgrims way back from the Middle Ages. So it's a tradition that's been in part part of the Camino for hundreds of years. Wow. And they also would give them a seashell. Seashells are very common along the coast there of Spain. And so they'd give them a seashell, but the seashell has so much Christian uh, uh, connection. Symbolism to, yeah, with the you, baptism, baptism and everything. And for like um, on the Camino too, if you hold the seashell, the scallop seashell uh-huh. on its side and the scallops all come to the middle, it's like the trails all coming together because there are several trails um, ways you can do the Camino. trails leading to God trails like the trails yes. from the Camino. There's yes. lots of trails. So, and, and just, I do need to back or I want to back up for our listeners, for those who don't know what a plenary indulgence yes. is. So a plenary indulgence is basically saying if you die tomorrow, um, all of the, all of the, um, deserved punishment basically would be removed and you would go straight to heaven. No need to go to purgatory right. essentially. Right. right. So you got one of those, Right. With, with this. Okay, okay that's so amazing. part of this plenary indulgent was to pray at the tomb of St. James there. Yes. In so there's different requirements yes. for different um, yeah. ways but to get But it was indulgence. still pray for the Pope, go to uh-huh. confession, yes. those, those basic go things. Mass. Yeah. So, yeah, so we did get that. So it's kind of neat to see that tradition continue on. So, yeah. yeah. So we got a little certificate in Latin. Our names are written in Latin on it. And uh, how do you say Julian Latin? A Julian. So how, Julian is oh. how they put it on there. Oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was really neat. So and, 
some of the some of the things now on your Facebook, I noticed you guys were at that place where there's the large incenser, if that's what it's called. Um, the Buddha Mafero. Yes. Yes. And if anybody's seen the movie The Way with uh, Martin Sheen, it's at the end of the movie they do that. And it takes eight men and it's um, it looks like a, a oversized Thurber. Uh-huh. Kinda. So it, the what, where the incense comes from, right? When we see that, so they in fill it with incense, and it takes, and it's on this big pulley system that they lower from the top of the cathedral, and um, there's eight men, and they pull on the rope, so they sw- to get the the um, Buddha Femero to swing back and forth, and it it goes a How long way. How big ways. is it? It weighs about seventy pounds, and okay. it can go up to seventy five miles per hour. Whoa! Wow! Yeah! Yeah! Cool. Yeah! Yeah. It doesn't. L- it didn't look that big. No. in your pictures on Facebook. Well, when wow. we got there and they lowered it, we're like, it was bigger in the movie, but it wasn't. I looked it up, and it was the same size as okay. it was when the movie was filmed. So, <laughs> unless Hollywood did something uh, with they, it, but, they yeah. probably had to yeah. emphasize it yeah. somehow. And, yeah, and at the end of the, you know, at the mass on Sunday, it was actually Pentecost Sunday, which was really kind of we didn't even realize that when we planned the trip. Wow. Uh, you get a pilgrim's blessing from the priest. And then afterwards, we walked around um, the outside of the church and looked at all the different side altars, and they were offering confession. Okay. So um, that's how we got our, our plenary indulgence. So, wow. Yeah, in, um, in English. But I, I, um, someone asked me why we went on this, and I, I really don't know if I had a definite why. Yeah. I just felt like God was calling me to uh-huh. do this, and uh-huh. it was something I always wanted to do. You know me. I like those challenges. Yeah. You know? And um, you got the exercise, you got the physical part of it, yeah. and then the spiritual part of it. And yes. I'm sure that came together. It did. And you know, the Camino changes you. And and I we met a couple where um, from the U.S. that we would run into, like you'd see them one day, and then a couple of days later, you'd be staying at the same place. Yes. You know, and they had walked it last year and did the 30 day. Yes. And this time they 30 were... days of walking. Wait, now how many miles generally does a person walk in a day? It like varies. This? We walked between eight and 15 miles a day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Need some good shoes. Yeah. And Band-aids. walking sticks. Yeah. I got my blisters. So I was initiated. Wow. Got blisters, but, um, and that's all part of the journey, right? Uh-huh. It's all part of the journey. And it was beautiful because these people that we met said that, um, they that they walked it for the physical, but they realized the spiritual at the end of it. So they came back and did a two week one this time. Wow. We did Camino Light. We did one week. We went from Vigo uh, to Vigo, Portugal to Vigo, Spain to Santiago. Okay, now back up. Camino Light, friends. That's what she said. Camino Light. You yes. said that so fast. I wanted to make sure that they heard that. Well, we so just, one week is considered a light. Well, it is in my book, yeah. Light walk. Yeah. Okay. But you know, there is the French route, which is the most uh, difficult one. And we talked, because go, it goes over the Pyrenees Mountains. Oh. And we t- ran into a pilgrim at one of our hotels who did that. He was from Wisconsin. And he just finished that one. And he said they walked through snowstorms. Oh, wow. I know. it. it yeah. It's, wow. That is very challenging. So the goal of the Camino is to get to... Santiago, Santiago, Spain. Okay, and yeah. everybody originally that did this year, you know, in the Middle Ages, they were going there because miracles were happening there. Where Saint well, James was. Well, I assume there was. There, were, yes. I haven't read any recorded, but yeah. to 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 make a pilgrimage and to pray at the tomb of Saint James, and I will tell you, the first day was tough. I was very emotionally exhausted. Yes, it wasn't the physical, and then the second day I woke up and we started our walk, and it was a fifteen mile walk. I think that day. And I remember starting out and thinking, I can't turn back. 
I felt like this. There's no, <laughs> I'm th- stuck. <laughs> I'm stuck. I, I, it's going forward. There's no turning back. I made this commitment and this is, and I started thinking about Mary, the Blessed Mother, how she made that fiat. Yes. And she couldn't go back. It's like, oh my gosh, what did I say yes to? Yeah. And I'm thinking, I got four more days of this and I'm getting a <laughs> blister. This is... <laughs> This is not, the, the novelty is worn off. Oh. The novelty is worn off. The fun of it, like, oh, the excitement had worn off. And, and it, that was a long day. And I was hot and tired at the end of the day. And my husband and I had our first, I had my first meltdown with my husband that day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But it was very beautiful because the, the walk took us to very shaded areas. Uh-huh. And then we would go up and climb a hill. And it's kind of like Mary walking to Ein Kerem because she would, she would either walk along the coast and then she would go up along the mountainous areas of, of the Holy Land. And um, she walked 83 days total over the course of that time. And, and, and I, I thought she, about and her. Ju- Julie's referring to when Mary went to visit Elizabeth. That's in right. Yeah. Just the just visitation. Yeah, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for that clarification. Yeah. And so I just thought about Mary pregnant walking that with other people like we were walking with other pilgrims yes. walking that and how that had to bend for her. So that was really kind of a powerful thing, and 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 praying the the mysteries, the joyful mysteries on that Monday. Did you ever her. get to a point where you were like, oh, you know what, Julie, I'll ask you this in the next segment, but I do want to know, did you ever get to a point where it was like, I'm done, I'm quitting? So if we, oh yeah, I wanna, I wanna, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, friends, you're listening to Catholic Women Now on Iowa Catholic Radio Network. We're talking to Julie about her walk on the Camino, and when you stay tuned, you're going to get to. Hear what happened when she was ready to give up at one point. (laughs) God bless you, Julie. This is a Young Catholic Minute. How far is too far? Ask yourself, will I wish that my future wife had gone further with other men? Or instead, that they had respected her dignity? You see, how far is too far usually means, how much can I use this woman without going too far? Um, any use is too far. It shows that you don't care about giving love at all but just taking physical pleasure. Now, obviously, God intends the gift of love to be accompanied with physical pleasure, whether it's holding your bride's hand or something far more intimate. But first, it has to be a gift of love. And what does that mean? St. Paul knows, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to sanctify her. And how did Christ do that? By sacrificing everything and enduring death on a cross. So, if you give your whole life to your bride, that's called marriage, with all the joy and sacrifice that entails then that pleasure will truly come from the love it signifies. For more, go to youngcatholicminute.com. Welcome back to Catholic Women Now. We're talking to Julie Nelson about her walk on the Camino. And before the break, I was asking her, I said, was there ever a time where you felt like you just wanted to give up, like you couldn't go any further? And so what happened, Julie? Did you have one of those moments? I will say leading up to that point, each day was a day of surrendering, a little bit more myself you know, letting go and allowing God to do what he could do for me physically and emotionally to make this walk. So it was the fourth day, and it was the longest walk. It was the day that we walked the longest miles. And we you don't, we weren't walking together because it's just easier to walk at your own pace. So Lynn and I were walking ahead, and it was just the two of us, and it was getting to be time for lunch. And we stopped and would eat at different, you know, little towns. Well, we got to this town. It was like the perfect time to stop. And Lingo, my husband wanted to keep going to beat the heat. And we were could see the next town that we were staying at in the distance. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. All right, we'll go. And I no more got outside of that town when I started my hit the wall. And I started going really slow. And I think my husband thought I was being a little pouty about it because we didn't <laughs> eat. 
And um, we get to the next town. There's nothing there to eat. There's no places to go to sit Uh down and eat. So I ate peanut butter and crackers. And I was almost out of water. And we had two more miles to go to get to our place. And Uh so we started walking off. And I was like, I cannot do this, God. And I started to grumble. I started to complain. And God just said to me, Julie, you you wanted a, 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 a sacrifice that you could be tangible. This is the sacrifice I'm giving you to go without food and trust on me. So God showed me that while I could, he showed me I could do it physically and what he wanted to do within me spiritually as, as a, you know, as that outward sign of what he could do in inwardly with me. So I, I said, okay, Lord, I'm offering this up for all the prayer intentions. And so every step I take my left foot step, praise step, right foot, sacrifice step. So you're going to praise and sacrifice, sacrifice praise, praise left foot, sacrifice right foot <laughs> all the way for two miles, which really got me through it. And then when I got there, I was like, oh, my gosh, you did it, Lord. You did it because I there's no way I could have done that on peanut butter and crackers. <laughs> and then you think of Jesus's walk. Yes. You reunite. You? You know, you're, yeah. you're suffering united with his walk on yeah. into Calvary. And the Camino provides, and I saw that a lot in my companions, how the Camino provides. And one of the ways I saw it for myself was I was walking along and I was trying to get all the shade I could. So there was this wall and I was walking in the in the shadow of the wall. And this person comes up to me and goes, oh, trying to stay cool. Are you hot? And I said, yes. And he goes, drink lots of water. And he goes, you want some water? I'm a perfect stranger just offering oh. me water. And my a traveling companion had that happen too. She... Um, one day she was struggling walking and stuff, and this lady just comes up from England, loved her accent, and she just comes up behind her and starts praying the Hail Mary with her. Wow. And and then two days later, same thing happened, and this woman is showing up again. The same woman? Yeah. Wow. She, we meet up again. Just right when, the, when your yeah. friend needed more support. And I'm praying the Hail Mary with her. And wow. then... They found each other at the Mass on Sunday. Oh. Yeah. It, wow. That's the community. You know what? It sounds like you kind of begin to understand what heaven will be like when everybody's a brother and sister in Christ, when yes. you love everybody the way you love your brothers, your actual brothers and it's sisters It's the unity. Here. There's something about the unity on that mm. trail. And then seeing wow. people praying the rosary yeah. along the way. It was just very, very beautiful. And just the Camino provides, and the Camino is not about the miles. It's not about, you know, I conquered 85 miles in a week. The Camino is in your heart. Yeah. And everybody has their own Camino. Um, like the couple we met, they did that when they walked the 30 day, they didn't walk every day, the full thing. They would look at it and then they'd start, if it was a really steep train, they would take a cab and just start where they could. It's your own Camino and God changes your heart and all that. And, and he's, he can surprise you, it seems. Mm-hmm. Wow. And my husband went very skeptical. He went because we went with friends. And uh, he said, Oh, peer pressure. Yes. What peer pressure can yes, do? Yes, it works for guys too. It works for guys. It works for our men. It and, works for people beyond the teens. Yes, yes. And he was pleasantly surprised and he's glad he did it. And he said, you know, it was good for our marriage. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. So what did you leave at the Camino? I know they say you leave things at the Camino and you take things home. And that was my why. Yeah, so what I left on the Camino was more detaching. And it wasn't from materialism. It was just other little, like, you know, a behavior or like, um, um, 
uh, uh, habits, yes. habits kind of yes. things. Detach more from that. I mean, I thought I had detached a lot, and maybe I have, but there was always more, right? And then I took away um, a lot of peace. And um, this happened on my trip to Haiti when I did a mission trip, to slow down. Yeah, to slow down and yeah. just take some moments with God, more moments with well, God. Well, I can tell you that several people in our friendship group saw the peace on yours and Lynn's faces in your pictures. There was just so much calm and authentic joy I, that you could see in the pictures. And we all could see it. And it's so interesting because I was not necessarily had my finger on that I, that whole thing that I was feeling joy and peace. Uh-huh. It just was there, and I didn't realize it until. Yeah, I saw these comments and like, and I saw, then I went back in and zoomed in on it, like our faces and yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, what it it always takes, it's good to have friends, right? Yeah. What a beautiful journey. And it sounds like you had not just friends, but brothers and sisters in Christ on the trail. So that's another beautiful. We did. And the fun thing too, is we made a side stop to Fatima while we were over there. Oh, we got to see the procession. And I, I was really impressed with how many people still go to Fatima after all these years and I've been to Medjugorje, as we've talked about. We've been to Medjugorje, and Medjugorje is the fulfillment of Fatima, the messages at Medjugorje. And I just felt like this ark had been made. Wow. You know, this ark just from crossed Fatima. Crossed the bridge. Crossed the bridge uh-huh. into this ark. And wow. it was it was beautiful as well, too. Wow. And we got to meet um, St. Jacinta's niece. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very, yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh. All those cool little gifts that you get along the way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. God is good. Yeah. God is so very good and generous. Well, should we close in a prayer here? Let's do that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Lord, you are so good to walk with us on our journeys, those that are obvious like Camino and just in our daily lives. I ask, Lord God, that you send your Holy Spirit to guide us, surround us with your powerful angels, us, all of our listeners and their families, Lord that we might stay on the path that leads to you. When we need it to be more clear, Lord God, light up the next step for us. And we thank you, Lord God, for how you take care of us and chase us down and bring us back to you. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now go do impossible things with God. Walking the Camino, it's definitely a pilgrimage I think we all could benefit from. So as you find out more about Catholic Mom Now, we welcome them to our family of podcasts on our website at EWTNradio.net. Make sure you subscribe, share with your friends and family, so that way you can all benefit and grow this week. We will do this again next week as we find out more great teachings that can help us as we head into the summer months and get closer to Independence Day. I'll see you back then. Remember to let God define who you are, and thanks for listening to Catholics Coast to Coast.